This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Good morning. We are uh, in the second Sunday of a series called Heart of the Matter, and we're going to be talking this month. Maybe you gathered from the video. We're talking this month about finances and how it applies in our lives and, and, uh, and giving and investing and getting out of debt uh, and, uh, and, and so forth and all how we do our budgeting. Uh, we're going to be talking about what Jesus said this month about, about finances. And as the video showed you, a lot of people have a have their own definition of things, you know. Uh, and that's one of our problems in, in, uh, in churches, in our culture, is that we would rather come up with our own definition than seek what God has to say. Have you ever noticed that? I'll determine what's my right and wrong and not can be too concerned about what the book says. And so that's where we are in so many areas in our culture. And uh, so we want to see what Jesus has to say because really that's what the Word says. That's all that matters. Last Sunday, if you were here, um, uh, most of us, I think, agreed um, that Jesus always meant what he said. I said, do you believe that? And I heard a lot of amens. Yeah, Jesus meant what he said. And that included our verse from last Sunday. And I hope maybe you've, you've memorized that. But if you haven't, we're going to put it up on the screen because I want us to say it together. We're going to say it again at the very end this morning. But it's kind of the theme verse for the whole series, Heart of the Matter. Because Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, 21, say it with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's in our hearts. What do we keep in our hearts? Well, one thing that you and I keep in our hearts are our attitudes. Our attitudes. Attitudes are things that, where do we get the attitudes that we have about this and about that? You know, attitudes are learned, aren't they? We learn our attitudes. We learn them from our experiences often. Our experiences will give us an attitude, good or bad or indifferent, about things. And we all know people with good attitudes. You know somebody who just seems to always have a good attitude, a bright outlook, and and so forth on everything in life. You know, you you comment about that person. You know, you got a really good attitude, especially when somebody goes through a difficult situation in their lives. They go through something tough. I think about some of the folks um, last month who worked for the federal government and didn't get a paycheck for however long that was, almost a month, I guess. And some of them, you talk to them and say, hey, I am so sorry. And, and, and if you told that person you're sorry, that was a good thing to say because we're their employers, you know, you, you know what I mean? We're, I am so sorry that those folks up in D.C. can't get it together and pay you paycheck. And so many of those folks that I talked to, they said, you know what, it's okay. It's going to get it come around. It's going to get fixed and so forth and so on. And, uh, and, and I, I thought, man, what a great attitude to have. Good attitudes. Um, they don't let things, you know, you see them go through something challenging and, and it doesn't defeat them and you comment to that person. You're keeping such a good attitude about that. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I like hanging around with people with good attitudes. How about you? And, and when I have a sorry attitude myself and I wonder how come nobody wants to be around me, nobody wants to talk to me, I mean, you know, if I had a dog, the dog would want to go outside all day, you know, would not, would not want to be around me. When you have a bad attitude, whether it's at work or at home or at church, um, whether it's, you know, wherever you might be, I like hanging around with people with good attitudes. And then there are bad attitudes, and bad attitudes might show up as total defiance. 
Anybody ever raised a 14-year-old? All right. Four of them. All right. I was talking with, I ran into an old friend. I hadn't seen him in a long time in, in the store the other day. And uh, we talked for a few minutes and asked, we had, you know, our kids are the same age. And asked, how's your kids? Have this new? And, uh, and he told me about his one daughter. He said, she's doing great. He said, you know, he said, when she went off to college, her whole life changed. She said, okay, I messed it all up in high school. I had sowed all my wild oats in high school. You know, I, he said, it was really rough in high school with her. He said, when she went to college, she said, okay, now it's time to get serious about life. And I said, that's what, that's what causes all this gray hair, right? And he took off his hat, and, he says, and he's bald-headed. He says, yeah, and it makes it fall out, too. You know, to, it could be total defiance, bad attitudes. It might be a poorly done job at work, or it might be a lack of motivation at school to study and pull up your grades because, and you've, we've heard this, and maybe we've even said it, you know, well, I just don't care. I don't care. That's a bad attitude. Lots of things cause bad attitudes, and often it's simply the people we surround ourselves with at work, at school, or even at church. Attitudes are contagious, aren't they? And so in your notes this morning, for good or evil, money management is all about attitude. The subject of money management really boils down to attitudes as well. What, what do I think when, I, when it comes to handling my treasure my funds? Do I think, you know what, I'll never be able to get a handle on my spending. Some of you are there right now. That's an attitude. I'll just never be able to do any better. Or the attitude says, my money is my money, and I'll do with it as I darn well please. That's an attitude, isn't it? My money is really God's money because he is my Lord. That's an attitude as well, isn't it? Sure. Paul wrote to Timothy about an attitude about money. He said, uh, wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, he said, for the love of money, get that right, it doesn't start off with saying for money is, it says for the love of money, that's an attitude, is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, money, some have wandered away from the faith. Christians have left the faith because of the love of money. And I could tell you stories of people that I've known, people right here in this church who at one time were, were desperate for God to do something in their lives and to take care of their needs and bless them. And they prayed for that, and God blessed them. And he began to take care of that. In fact, they began to, to be blessed so much that they began to prosper and do really well. And all of a sudden, they had all kinds of money to spend and they walked away from God and walked away from the church so they could spend all their money and have good times. The love of money, some of that have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. So a wrong attitude about money can hurt my relationship with Christ. It can. So I want to give you this morning five attitude adjusters about money because if it's about attitudes let's talk about these attitudes and here's some attitudes adjusters that jesus gave to help you and me have the right attitude toward money and not be tempted to sin with it we talked last sunday from that verse about where our treasure is our heart is also and we we also saw what jesus said about our heart that we are to love the lord our god with all our hearts and so we can love God with our money or we can sin against God with our money and how we manage it. 
What are the attitudes? First of all, the attitude of selfishness. The attitude of selfishness. Jesus said to be generous. That's the attitude adjuster. Don't be selfish with your money. Instead, be generous. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. He said, give to the one who asks you. Anyone? He didn't seem to qualify it here. He said, give to the one who asks you. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, just before he, had, he said those words, he talked about, and this is, this is in, the, uh, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Just before he said that, he talked about that, and let me paraphrase it. He talked about having a give, give the shirt off your back kind of attitude. Somebody asks you for your shirt, you give them your shirt. If they ask for your coat, you give them your coat. And then he said this, Give to the one who asks you, whatever it might be. Give to the one who wants to borrow from you. If you have it, Jesus said, hear me, here's an attitude about money. If you have it, share it. Don't hoard it. The inward struggle with Jesus here, and there is an inward struggle with all these attitudes with Jesus because what Jesus says really battles against our own nature, human nature, because our human nature with our money is not to be generous. Our human nature is to get all I can, can all I get, and then sit on the can. Right? Nobody's going to get it. I've earned it. It's my money. I'm keeping it. That's human nature. Jesus instead said, there's no room for selfishness in my kingdom, which is the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount. No room. And we wonder... Does he mean literally to give to everyone who asks of us? Everyone, here's an area where, let me, just, let me just kind of wander for a second. Here's an area where the government has taken the responsibility away from the people of God, away from the church. And most of us are satisfied to let them do it, frankly. The, this command to, to give and to share isn't given to the government. Who was it given to? It was given to Jesus' disciples, not to the government. And I hear people politically speaking say, and they'll quote Jesus on stuff like that and say, so this is what the government's supposed to do. And I want to say, eh, this is not at all written to the government. It's written to the church. It's written to us. It's our responsibility to take care of so many of these needs, but the government has robbed us of that. By the way, you pay taxes so the government can take care of all that, don't you? Don't ever let someone tell you, by the way, that the church doesn't pay taxes. I've heard that. Well, the church doesn't pay taxes. Let me ask you, this is, you're the church, aren't you? How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you pay taxes? Oh, so look around, hold your hand up for a second. If you ever told somebody, hold it up there. If you ever said, well, the, the church doesn't pay taxes, you ever thought about that, look around you. That's wrong, we do. The church absolutely pays taxes. But imagine how much more generosity we could demonstrate if we were taxed less so we could give more. Commercial over. Now, number two. Rick, you ought to run for office. Yeah, yeah. Just, just go ahead and pull, just put bamboo shoots under my nails. And that's not going to happen. Number two, the attitude of worry. Selfishness, and then secondly, the attitude of worry. Now here, you know, some of you need right now to pick your feet up because I'm going to stomp all over your toes. Worry is a sin. Plain and simple. 
Worry's a sin. So what, what's the attitude buster for worry about finances? And I'm not going to ask you how many of you have ever worried about finances. Jesus said, don't trust in riches. Don't trust in riches. So when I worry about my money, I'm trusting in my money. When I worry about my money, I'm trusting in my bank account. I'm trusting in my paycheck. I'm trusting in, in the stock market. I'm trusting in those kinds of things. And Jesus said, you're trusting in the wrong place. He gave a parable one time where he talked about soils, four different soils, and he talked about the seed, and the seed, he said, was the word of God planted in these different soils. Matthew 13, 7, he said that some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them, choked them. The crop that came up, thorns came up, choked it. Then he explained what, what are the thorns. He explained that a few verses later in verse 22. Now the, the one sown among the thorns, the seed sown among the thorns, this is the, the soil, is the one who hears the word. But get this, but the worries of this age and the seduction of what? Money, wealth. The worries of this age and this, do you worry about this age? The worries of this age and the seduction of wealth do what? Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The key to must be then to accept the fact that riches, treasure, wealth, whatever you want to call it, are not trustworthy, are they? They're not. When I get that when I understand that my trust is not to be in my checkbook, my wallet, then all of a sudden this burden is lifted off of me and I can hear, how many of you would like to live this way? I can stop worrying. I can stop worrying and start trusting the Lord. He's trustworthy. And start praying what Jesus told us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Lord, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Take care of my needs today. Learn to be content with what I have and what he gives me. Attitude number three, wrong attitude. We've had selfishness and worry. The attitude of self-righteousness. And Jesus said in order to overcome the attitude of self-righteousness, the attitude of self-righteousness is the attitude that says, look at me, how good I'm doing. Look at me, I must be a prime example of what a Christian is. That's the attitude of self-righteousness. The antidote for the attitude of self-righteousness, Jesus said, is to give secretly. Look with me, if you have your Bible, look with me at Matthew chapter 6. It's not going to be up on the screen, so you're going to open up your word. I hope you bring your Bible with you to church. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And again, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, so he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people. What's the motive? To be seen by them. Otherwise, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. He won't in heaven say, well done, good and faithful servant. He'll say, you got your reward on earth. So whenever you give to the poor... Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Apparently, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, when they were going to give to the poor, they bring a trumpet player with them. They have a brass band come with them, you know. And they would toot their horns 
That's where the expression toot your horn comes from, by the way. They would toot their horns real loudly and get everybody's attention on the street, and then you would see them put their money in the offering box to give to the poor. He said, don't give that way to be applauded by people. I assure you, Jesus said, I promise you this, when that happens, they've gotten their reward. What's the, the reward? They get applause from people. And Jesus wants us to know when we give, our, our reward doesn't need to be applause from people. It needs to be God saying, well done. That's the reward that we need to seek. They've got their reward, verse 3, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Watch this. There's the self-righteous guy, all right? There's the guy who wants the applause from men. And Jesus says, don't be like him, give secretly. Now, it seems like giving in secret would be easy. But it's not. And you say, why not? And the answer to that is we're all corrupted with a desire, every single one of us, are corrupted with this desire to have other people think well of us aren't we? I mean, we want people to think well of us. That's part of our human sin nature. So giving our resources to those in need without fanfare is really two sacrifices. It's the sacrificial sacrifice, the financial, excuse me, sacrifice that when we give the money, and it's the sacrifice of the subsequent praise from others that we might get if they know. One thing that you will not see here at Nags Head Church, at least as long as I'm here, you won't see little plaques around the building that tell who gave this and who gave that. We used to have them in the old building. So-and-so gave this stained glass window. We had stained glass windows, and they took up you know, a fund uh, to buy those back in the 80s, and under each window was a little brass plaque that said, here's who gave it. And we... we I still have those plaques somewhere, but we'll never display them. And all those people are dead anyway, but we'll never display them. We just don't do that. You say, why not? Because of what Jesus said here. Don't let your left hand, right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's not the purpose of giving, to get your name on a plaque somewhere, to have a building named after you, whatever it might be. That's our human sin nature. And the Pharisees of Jesus' time, the self-righteous hypocrites who were all the time criticizing Jesus, and they're the ones who led the charge to have him crucified, they loved to practice their religion to get the attention and praise of others. We're going to go to one of those passages before the series is over where Jesus points that out. Give to God and give to honor God, not to draw attention to yourself. And as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, I really don't want to know what you give. I don't. 
I feel really uncomfortable, and this happens sometimes. I understand people, maybe they got here late, they couldn't put the money offering in the offering when it went by, and so they seem, they hunt me down and give me their offering for something. You know, I really, I get really uncomfortable with that. I don't want to know, and sometimes I don't know. It's in an envelope, maybe. It's not my business, and, and I really don't want to know. And you know why I don't want to know? Frankly, I don't want to know, and that's my choice, but I mean, there needs to be some kind of accountability regarding this, but I don't know. And the reason I don't want to know, and this has been my policy forever, is I don't want to treat you any differently than the other guy. I don't. And there are some places and some peoples where the people that give a whole lot want the pastor to know because they expect some extra benefits from it. You know, so when I go off into sin, the pastor's not going to call me out on it. You know what I mean? He'll be my buddy. I'd like to be your buddy without knowing what you give. I don't want to treat you, be tempted to do that because you might give more than others. Attitude number four, the attitude of self-sufficiency. Jesus said to find your sufficiency in him, in him. Now, the Laodicean church, you want to turn back to Revelation chapter 3. The, the Laodicean church at, in the book of Revelation, Jesus had letters sent to seven different churches. This was the last one. This was the, this was the worst of the seven. Had pretty much booted Christ out of their church. This is the church where in verse 20 he says, listen, I'm knocking at the door, church. If anyone hears me knocking, opens the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. That's a verse written, by the way, not to lost people. It's used a lot for evangelism, but it's not an evangelistic verse. It's a verse written to the church who had kicked him out. And he said, you've kicked me out, and, 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 and one of the reasons they had done that is because they really had gotten to the place where they believed as a church we can do just fine without Jesus. Verses 17 and 18, Revelation chapter 3. He said to this church, Because you say, I'm rich. Apparently this was a well-to-do church. They had plenty. Because you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. You don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You think you've got it all, but let me tell you something. You've got nothing. That's who you are. So Jesus said, let me give you some advice. When Jesus gives advice, we ought to listen, don't you think? He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Now, he's not talking about real gold here. He's talking about real spiritual treasure. You buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You buy for me white clothes symbolizing holiness, that you're living righteous lives so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not exposed. And you buy for me ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. He said to them, and he says to us, if you believe that your sufficiency is in your financial assets, 
Here's the problem that it causes. It causes you to be spiritually blind, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually naked. And he said, when you get that way where you put all your money, all your, all your sufficiency in what you have materially, he said, you're not going to put your trust in me. Look with me at Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Mark 10, verse 23. I think it's up on the screen as well. You've heard these words from Jesus before. He looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now when he said that, his disciples, it says, the next verse, were astonished at his words. What? Because they lived in a place and a time where they really did believe that the wealthy, the rich, who could do so much more for the poor and give so much more to the temple and to the synagogue and so forth and so on, be very charitable with what they had. The wealthy must be that way because God has blessed them. By the way, you know any wealthy people that don't know God? You know any wealthy people that are atheists? You know any wealthy people that, when, you know, that really their lives do not resemble Jesus at all? Yeah, sure you do. I do too. So please don't, and the disciples were equating wealth with God's blessing. And when Jesus said it's harder for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God, the disciples were astonished at his words. They looked at each other and said, what did he say? But the disciples, they were astonished at his words, and so Jesus said to them again, he explains it, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Don't put your sufficiency in your assets financially and materially. Attitude number five. And that is the attitude, and, and, here's, and this is kind of opposite the rest of the attitudes that people might take. The attitude that money doesn't matter. The attitude that is, that is you know, I'm more spiritual if I'm dirt poor. And let me say, you can be spiritual when you're dirt poor. And probably more people, as Jesus said, are more spiritual when they have less than when they have more. But so, so some people would say the attitude that money doesn't matter, but if it didn't matter, then Jesus would have said nothing about it. You know, he would have just skipped over it. Doesn't matter. Why bother with it? Why, why waste my breath? You guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you guys, just put your pens down. I'm not going to say anything about money. He didn't do that. In the hands of a Christian, and I would say the bulk of us this morning probably are Christians, in the hands of a Christian, money that we possess, that we have, is given to us by God. You say, well, I worked real hard for it. Well, God's blessed you with a job. The money that we have is meant to meet needs. Needs of my family, needs of my household, the needs of the poor, whatever it might be, the needs of the church. It's meant to meet needs, but it can blind us of our real needs. And the truth is, Money can do wonderful things for the kingdom, can it? It can. It's not the idea that God needs my money. 
Please understand, he, God needs nothing. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. We need him. Let's not get, ever get to the place where we're so proud to think, God, you know, you're really fortunate, God, to have me on your team. <laughs> he doesn't need our money. But the only way, for example, that we can provide this building, this, by the way, in, in a few weeks, we will have been in this building for 12 years. It just seems like yesterday. The only way that we can provide this building for ministry and for missions, the only way we can do that, and here's the dirty little secret, is by paying something called a mortgage. And y'all, how many of you know what that is? Mortgage, if you don't know mortgage, you know rent, all right? By paying a mortgage to the bank that loaned us the money so that this building could be built. That's how we do this. And if I withhold my treasure from God, then I lose out on the joy of knowing I was part of something for the kingdom. I lose out on eternal rewards for being generous with what he's given me. So how I handle my income does matter. And hear me very quick, very, very closely. Not only does it matter how I handle my money, how I budget my money. Yesterday I sat down, Gail and I sat down and, and worked on our budget for this year. I hate doing that. Because it, I don't want to know how much I spend. You know what I mean? I don't want somebody else saying, no, you can't go buy that this month. How I handle my money does matter. It matters for eternity. I've asked Bernie Staples. Bernie, would you come on up? Bernie is our executive pastor, as he prefers to be called, pastor of stuff. <laughs> to come up and tell us about some of the expenses that Nags Head Church has that maybe, you know, you never considered, you don't think about because you just don't see it. Bernie, come talk with us for a minute. Thanks. I am uh, I'm thinking about kind of amending that title that Pastor Rick has given me, being a little more specific. Um, I th I'm thinking about changing it to Pastor of Figuring Out How to Pay for Stuff. <laughs> and really... I ought to be pretty good at it because Roxanne has had me in that training program for the past 35 years. So, so I ought to be able to do that pretty, pretty good. Anyway, uh, Rick asked me if I would come uh, and take just a couple of quick minutes and share some of the expense things, items that we have every month that we often just kind of take for granted. They are, they're not really readily apparent but um, they come out of our checkbook every month. Uh, things like our power bill. That runs every month between thirteen and fifteen hundred bucks. Um, every month that bill comes in. When you add to that our phone bill, phone and internet's about three hundred and fifty dollars a month. Um, our fire and security alarm monitoring, um, outside building maintenance. When you add all that up, it goes over 2500 a month, every month. Now, if you live here and you have property, in, property 
you know that property insurance is not cheap. Our insurance on this building uh, for flood and our liability runs us over $1,650 a month. Our building payment that Rick talked about is $9,000. For years, we've been paying extra on that so that we could get ahead of schedule and get the building paid off. Lately, we've had to scale that back just because the funds hadn't been available. Um, the copier uh, that we use to run our, our uh, worship guides and, and class materials and stuff like that, that's only for 300 a month. And we have to pay extra for color copies. And our Cowabunga Cove team uses lots of color copies. Um, speaking of Cowabunga Cove, they're often called the most impacting children's ministry on the Outer Banks. Thanks to Bonnie and, and her volunteer team. Bonnie, that was a free commercial. Not charging you anything for that. We use several software programs. Um, church management software, accounting, payroll, worship related, the stuff that allows us to show things on the screen. And they all total over 500 a month. The curriculum for our Cowabunga Cove is $2,500 a year. That's a couple hundred bucks a month. Our building here is not brand new anymore. And so while it's in overall good condition, there are maintenance items that um, we, can, we know we can count on. Last couple of years, we've painted outside and we've gotten the roof done. This year, our focuses are on our heat and air units. We've got, I think it's 13 of them and they're starting to go. And so we're gonna probably, we, we can count on three that we're gonna to have to replace this year. Somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to $20,000. Um, our ice maker, that's died, we gotta buy a new one. Our commercial refrigerator, it's been here 12 years too. So those kinds of things that we have to plan for and deal with every month. Um, did you know that every month we send checks to 10 specific missionary families, totaling 6226 bucks, and we do it twice in October, give them a Christmas bonus. That doesn't count our other mission spending, that's just our missionary families. So I think you get the point got a lot of expense every month that has to be paid and it has to be paid whether you're here or not um, all those things added up to about twenty two thousand dollars a month that we you know so when Ben Alexander um, and I look at our monthly income and our expenses sometimes it gets to be a real challenge to get all those things paid out so Anyway, that just gives you an idea. When you give to God, as, as Rick mentioned, when you give to God through Nags Head Church, that's between you and God. When you give and how much you give. Now, we provide you with a giving statement uh, every year for a couple of reasons. One, if you itemize your, your taxes, you can claim the, the amount that you give to the church 
as a deduction. You don't have to pay taxes on that amount. So if you gave, for example, if you're in a 25% bracket and you gave $6,000 last year, your income taxes would be $1,500 less if you deduct that. So it makes sense to me to take advantage of that kind of thing. If you give cash, though, and you don't put it in an envelope, and we don't have any way of knowing, and, and therefore can't provide you with that statement. Now, it's okay with us if it's okay with you, but just, just to let you know that. Secondly, that given statement allows you to evaluate what you're given. Are you being generous? Are you being obedient? Um, our, our goal, our, our vision, our, we would love for everyone to trust God with their finances enough so that their, their practice would be off the top and at the top of the list, give a percentage of what your income is to God. Um, for us, for me, it's simpler to do it online and automatically. That way I don't forget, and I tell you, my forgetter works better and better every year. Uh, but that way we don't forget if we're gone, if we're on vacation, if we're not here, the church can count on that money every, every week, every month, whatever your, uh, your schedule is there. So that eliminates that possibility of if you're not here, the church not getting your, uh, your tithe. So. As I mentioned, our expenses are set, whether the building is full or whether it's empty. So the bills come due either way, just like your home. When, if you're away, if you're on vacation, you still gotta make your mortgage payment, pay your insurance payments, et cetera. So hope you can uh, consider that and remember that as you set up your household budget. And uh, if you want help with setting that up any of those automatic things up, we'd be glad to uh, to give you assistance there. So just let us know. Thanks. Thank you, Bernie. Let me finish with this. Some of you, um, I'm going to guess, uh, with this many people in the room, there are some of you this morning who who wish, very sincerely, you wish that your finances were in better shape. Um, because you're living from paycheck to paycheck, and maybe the paycheck's not keeping up with the needs. And uh, I want you to please understand uh, that I get that. Uh, I've been unemployed. Uh, Gail and I have received food stamps. Um, I know what it's like to go grocery shopping and say, let's splurge this week and buy a two-liter bottle of Coke been there. And you may be thinking, I'd be more consistent and more generous in my giving if I had it to give. I, I, God bless you. I understand that. Often when I pray for offerings, I pray God bless those who cannot give. Next Sunday, I want to take us to some principles that Jesus laid out about giving. And they're not impossible things. But it's true, if you're juggling payments to, as we saw last Sunday, the national average is three credit cards and that they're, they're maxed out and you're juggling that, 
the honest truth of the matter, I'll just, you know, I'll just say it to you in case you don't want to say it to yourself. Uh, you can't get ahead when you're living like that unless something changes. And where does that change begin? Well, I'm going to go to my boss this week and say I need a raise. That's not where the change begins. The change begins in the heart. The change begins with attitudes. On Sunday, March 16th, we're hosting a financial workshop uh, titled, I love the title of it, I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. I, I like that. Do you? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, for our guests, we're not into prosperity theology. You're not going to hear us talk about giving seed to God here, and then God's going to bless it tenfold. Right? We're not into that at all. We're not going to tell you to sell your diamond ring and give it to the church, and God will make you rich. There's no hocus pocus here. You're going to learn some, just some practical things about how to budget, how to be disciplined with your spending. You'll learn how to save. You'll learn how to get out of debt so that you can begin to even invest and you'll learn how to give. And this seminar, this workshop that Bernie's going to teach, lead for, for a lot of us here is going to change our lives. Solid biblical principles. You can go to our website at Nagshead Church and also you can go to our app to register for that. All right? Let's, uh, let's stand together. The verse is back up on the screen. Let's say it one more time. Say it with me, please, before we pray. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. Church, let's get our hearts in the right place. It starts with attitude. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will teach us today. We've gone through some attitudes, wrong attitudes, selfishness, uh, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. We've gone through these attitudes, God, that many of us, it's easy to have those things, those wrong attitudes. We've learned them. We've gained them by experience. And you want to, as we sang a little bit earlier, Father, those are chains in our lives that you want to break. And you can if we'll allow you to. We'll surrender this part of our lives to you. If we'll say, Lord, my attitude about giving, I want it to be your attitude about giving, about finances, about my treasure, about how I spend money, about how I make money, how I save money. All of it matters to you because you said so much about it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God love others, reach the world.